0: The Cultured Meat Symposium is back in San Francisco on October 28th and 29th, 2022. This year, the theme of the event is creativity and commerce. Learn more and register at www.cms2022.com. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. This is your host, Alex Shirazi, and on this episode, we're speaking with Patricia Bubner of Orbillion. During this episode, we'll learn about what consumers will think once cultured meat products or cultivated meat products are available. We also talk about Orbillion and where it's going next. If you're a listener of this show, we would like to thank you. Whether you've heard episodes in the past or if you're joining us for the first time, please consider giving us a rating and most importantly, sharing with friends. Super excited for this episode and without further ado, Patricia, welcome to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show.
1: Thanks, Alex. I'm also very excited to finally get to be on this show. Really, I mean, I have listened to your show before, Orbillion, so thanks for having me.
0: Patricia, thanks for the kind words, and tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. So, I'm a chemical engineer, and I'm originally from Austria. My background really is, um, I'm very rooted in food. I was always interested in what does food consist of? What is flavor made of? What is nutrition made of on a molecular basis? That's why I studied chemistry, I don't know. For a lot of people, it may not make a lot of sense. For me, it does. And when I heard the first time about cultured meat, I just saw this amazing opportunity to create truly nutritious and better for you food from the cell up And as a scientist, I truly believe in the power of using the technology that we have to build a better future for all of us.
0: I guess your idea to start Orbillion was that one of your first future food ideas?
1: Yeah, you know, so I worked on a project before, the Millet Project, where we worked on grain biodiversity in California. And I realized that while plant proteins are awesome, there is really nothing that can replace factory farmed meat like cultured meat can. And so that's what I think got me really into cultured meat but i had a lot of different food ideas even even a long time before but we shouldn't get into those
0: <laughs> and we we've definitely chatted about millet in the past but yeah that's another conversation so for orbillion what was the day that you just kind of sat down and said okay you know what today's the day we're going to start orbillion and i know you have a couple of co-founders so what was that like origin story like
1: yes it Started kind of with your podcast in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) You know, we listened to the, my my co-founders and I, we've worked together previously and we definitely talked about how we can apply our deep technical skills to make something that truly matters to the world and to the consumer. And we listened to your podcast because we're all super interested in the future of food and cultured meat and we discussed it. And in these discussions also on what we can do, we realized that we have some damn good ideas, and it really wasn't one point where we're like, okay, let's do this. It was just this gradual thing where we came up with the things that are missing, where we talked about the experience that we have and brought that together. And as a background, my two co-founders, Gabriel and Samet, they both have, like me, a technical background, but also technology and innovation background. Gabriel and I did our postdoc together at UC Berkeley and he's a cell biologist and one of these really first syn-bio people that worked with plant genes, with animal genes, and later on went on to build conferences, innovation, and really source new technologies in different syn-bio areas. And Samantha and I, we worked together at Boehringer Ingelheim in biopharma, and he used to be the global head of technology and innovation there, and had a a huge uh, budget also to source specifically technology for large-scale mammalian cell culture. So you can clearly see how that is very, very relevant for what we're doing, and why these two were the first people that I approached and was like, hey... What do you think about cultured meat? Do you think that's possible? There are a lot of naysayers out there that say it's not possible. And both of them independently went back, thought about it, talked to their networks of people and came back and said, "You know, it's possible." And and that's what started the discussion between the three of us and that started the which technologies can we bring together with our really vast and deep industry experience and the network of people that we have and that really laid the the cornerstone for Orbillion and the full stack of technologies that we've built so far.
0: That's cool. And I want to mention that every time I've chatted with like Gabriel, for example, I also get a really strong sense of like business skills from him. And as a scientist, I think that's kind of a unique thing.
1: Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. I always try to, to describe the really complementary and, and diverse set of experiences that not only the founding team at Orbillion has, but everyone. And for a lot of people, diversity is often limited to a certain thing but i really think diversity in terms of skills in terms of backgrounds in terms of where you come from and so on and so forth all of these things are important especially for food and we can go on that tangent a little bit later and exactly that's it right i mean gabriel has successfully built um, a lot of business before in his previous job. He's built the first food tech conferences that were actually inspiring people like David Block to start in cultured Meat. That all is a pretty well-known story that started over a bottle of sparkling wine at the conference that Gabriel started. And the same for Samad, right? He has built different parts of These uh, businesses, and he's worked in product development, and he even has a patent on media development. So, all of these things make a lot of sense when you then want to go off and found your own company.
0: I think everything discussed over a bottle of sparkling wine is good. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. So, give us the 90 second elevator pitch. What does Orbillion do, and why is it different?
1: So, at Orbillion, we make better for you cultured meats. We are starting with premium beef from the best breed, Wagyu, but we also have lamb, elk, and American bison, and we can expand that as we go. What's different about us is, first of all, we're not a hybrid product company. We make meat. And there are people that just add a little bit of cells to a lot of plant-based materials, like 10 20% of cells. We're aiming at over 70% of cells in our first products. So that makes us not just another instance of a cultured meat company that makes us our own
0: category. I think it's interesting that you're actually willing to mention those numbers because I think a lot of times people don't mention those numbers or they're making, just for example's sake, if they're making a burger, they'll say, this is 100% a burger, right? Not that it's 10% cultured meat and and 90% something else. And so I think it's, Great that you mentioned that number. Why do you think the industry is kind of hiding? I I don't know. I don't want to say the industry is hiding that, but it's something that's not as well known. So, why do you think that is within the industry?
1: Well, I wouldn't say hiding, right? I think we all need to strike a careful balance in what we're communicating and how we're communicating it. And there are a lot of different companies in there that all have their different way of looking at the field and different ways of thinking about their business, right? For us, it's very clear that we are a meat company and we are making meat. There are different companies that come from different backgrounds, right? And exactly that's where I think we're not only our differentiator is, but also why we founded Our Billion, because we saw this gap, right? And The goal for us is to make products that appeal to the consumer, but that also are something that's not just a better plant-based product, but that is a better meat product. And talking about these numbers is difficult because a lot of things are still fluctuating, right? For us, over 70% is an aspirational number for our first product that we know with the knowledge that we have right now, we can achieve. So we're pretty, pretty conservative in the numbers that, we, that we're talking about. But things change in the startup environment. We all know that. And so I wouldn't hold it against these other companies that they're careful in communicating this because there's a lot of things that are tied to it, right? And I think we can dive into that a little bit more. Communication has been a bit of a challenge in the entire industry because everybody wants this industry to thrive. But we also know that there is a lot of unknowns out there that we need to navigate around. And the more we learn about consumers, the more studies there are out there, the more data there are out there, the more consumers also see that cultured meat is around the corner, the more I think we can talk about what it is that we're doing and how this can really create a better future of food and an integrated food system that's more sustainable.
0: When it comes to communication and why communication could be a challenge, what do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to communication about the industry?
1: I think there are several challenges. Um, First of all, there's no product in the market right now where people could just say, wow, you know, that's actually awesome. So, largely, what we're talking about is theoretical, and that is I think one of the issues there. Remember when you tried our first products, it was a very, very different emotional experience, and food is always emotional and As long as we're only kind of talking about it in theory, these emotions are not tied to the actual product. so I think that's one of the the big issues. The other thing is there is this understanding or or this disconnect to what food is and where it comes from. And actually, that's something that we are basing our communication in, right? We are always saying, hey, look, we're doing what people, what humanity has always done. We are building on the food technology, the agriculture, the work of the farmers and the people in the past, And we're just doing it in a different way to keep on feeding our families. We are building this farm to table story to connect people with that story, with where food comes from. And if you look, I think actually that's a problem right now with our food system and why industrial agriculture and industrial farming of animal has become what it is now. Because we do not understand where that piece of meat that's wrapped in, in a plastic wrapper in the supermarket actually comes from. We do not understand the work of the people, the farmers and everyone in the supply chain that goes into this. We do not understand the value of the animal that is tied to this piece of flesh. And that's something that we lost because it wasn't like that. We used to eat meat and value it. There used to be celebrations when people came back from a hunt and the life of the animal was valued. Even not too far back on smaller family farms, they knew the names of the animals, they know the names of the farmer, and they valued that animal that was often fed for the course of a year and then sacrificed for a very special moment. So... Anyway, this, I think, is one piece of communication that was missing that actually cultured meat ties into these roots and can bring us back to these roots if we do it right. But for that, also, you need to understand where food comes from and where meat comes from. And that's, again, something that makes us that are building different. We do have this background. We do have these ties. My grandparents are farmers. Samet's grandfather used to have a farm and a restaurant that sourced cattle from that farm. And this is very important to understand and to communicate.
0: You make quite a few interesting points, especially because we're, as a cultured meat industry, we want to highlight the importance of the meat and where the meat comes from. But I feel like because of traditional animal agriculture, you know, as you mentioned, we almost kind of hide that traditional animal agriculture on an industrial scale, we kind of hide it. You know, we hear stories about how it's not legal to take video inside of these facilities. We've kind of, as a society, started muting certain things about the way meat is made now. Whereas if you do kind of go right before that industrialization, people did know their farmers or, yeah, farmers were a part of that community, right?
1: And they still are, Alex. They still are. Like we work very closely with our farmers. And it is important to also see the human part there. And that's something where if we, as cultured meat companies, do not communicate with the industry, with the farmers right now and tell them what we're doing and that we're actually on the same side as they are, meaning producing animal proteins and selling them to the consumers, then we will run into that continued problem of misunderstanding. And just seeing farmers as part of the equation and seeing them as people that have a stake in this, as we do, can change a lot in my opinion and in my experience. And at the same time, also seeing that they are hurting and they are not getting paid fairly for the work that they are doing. But we can change that. And I believe that in the future, and again, that's something that's different about our as well, I don't think it's wrong to kill an animal and eat that meat. I think what we're doing with industrial agriculture is wrong. And had we built industrial agriculture from the ground up, the way we see it's working out right now, we probably would have been like, why would we do this? So going back to that, I think building a food system where a farmer can sell meat from an animal at a premium and cultured meat will be at A price parity with the, what we now have industrially farmed meat. Then there will be no question that the consumers will choose at price parity, cultured meat that will have a better nutritional value, that will taste the same, at least, or better than factory farmed meat. And at the same time, they will finally be, farmers will finally be able to sell their whole cut steaks that they make on their regenerative farm at a premium.
0: I want to take a step back, and you mentioned the, the tasting experience, which I had the, the honor of being a part of. Maybe to set the stage, can you explain the tasting that I'm referring to?
1: Yes, and it was actually our honor that, that you came and, and did such an excellent job on describing what you were experiencing. So yeah, the tasting that Alex was part of was actually our first pre-regulatory approval tasting last year. Where After only four months of development, we served three different types of meats, which represents three of our four animal species that we have. We served the Wagyu beef, the wild elk, and the lamb. And at that tasting, we were able to showcase three different products after these only four months of development time. And we invited four tasters in two sessions. Alex, was one of these lucky few people that tasted it. And it took place in San Francisco, cooked by a chef. And maybe Alex, you can recap a little bit your experience. We also have a video, of course, that I'm encouraging people to watch. But Alex, what did you think?
0: You mentioned you know, that this is something that we're developing, right? But for me, you know, tasting it, it was very real there, and like you mentioned, there was this like three different samples: the the beef, the elk, and lamb. And I think for me, it was the I think third or fourth time that I had tried different cultured meat products. That was the first time I ever had like a a very substantial amount, right? And I think that's very important to note because in a lot of the the tastings that were happening, 2018, 19, 20, it was very kind of And not even small portions, tiny portions. And this Orbilian tasting, I think, was significant enough to actually wrap your head around the idea that, wow, this is a meatball. This is a sausage. And taste-wise, I think the, the three different types of meat your team created and selected were really fitting for a tasting because you could taste the difference between the lamb or the beef and you know elk is something I'm not usually tasting but it also kind of had that I guess gamey feel right so i think the actual tasting experience was definitely quite magical but i think what was even more unique for me was in my session i was the only taster <laughs> and so so it was it was kind of like this very kind of spotlight moment for me
1: I apologize for that, but you did great and and I remember that you said it was a true premium experience and thanks for saying that. You actually could taste the difference between the species. This was one of the big questions we had and it's not known, right? How do we create flavor and taste in cell culture? How do we create nutrition? How do we make sure it's nutritionally equivalent to the meats that we're eating? All these things are very important and they're not well understood. So for us, this is really key, creating meat from cell culture that is better for you, that has the nutrition that the consumer expects, that has the health benefits, the the taste that people expect, and then finally making enough, as you said, at a certain price point that we can also sell it to the consumer at the price that they expect. And for us at Orbillion, we are focusing on scaling from day one. We're focusing on the consumer experience from day one. And what we're seeing right now, and tying back into the percentages of cultured meat, right? We're seeing that nobody right now, and it's 2022, is selling cultured meat at scale.
0: You mentioned that you wish there were more critics of the cultured meat industry. Can you elaborate on that?
1: We talked about communication before, right? So there were things initially that were not well communicated by the entire industry. And that's okay. I mean, we're startups, we're learning, all this is a new industry. But it's also, it needs to be okay to criticize that, right? For example, what I'm referring to is Companies saying they will disrupt the entire um, animal agriculture space and replace all the farmers. And by the way, I talked to people that were there at that time. So this did not go over well with the stakeholders in in traditional animal, animal agriculture, as you can imagine, who wants to hear that. So we need to get better at understanding other stakeholders in the food system, communicating with them, and more listen to them than just talking about disruption and how we replace everybody else. I also don't think that will happen, right? And so that's what I think that criticism and that dialogue needs to come to create an honest discussion, but also to make sure that cultured meat gets its place in the current food system, that what you did, tasting cultured meat becomes the reality for everyone. And In order for that, we need to get out of that Silicon Valley disrupt everything startup mindset and into, hey, we are a stakeholder in a complex system with other stakeholders mindset. We need to to learn. We need to share our knowledge with others so they can learn about us. And that's where I think true criticism that doesn't come from a Oh, cultured meat is bad standpoint, but actually from a standpoint where it's like finding the the space where this industry will fit in and through the thrive along with the other stakeholders, that is important. So instead of having a communication about, oh, but you need to be more transparent in how you produce it, which doesn't help anyone because we don't know how we produce it yet. As I say, nobody's selling it at scale. But really saying, how what are the products that you want to create? How will that fit in with the current food system? And going back to the hybrid products that I mentioned, right? Why do hybrid products have to be plant proteins with cultured meat? Why are we not talking about making traditionally harvested meat proteins and mix them with cultured meat? To have, for example, a sausage that has 50% less factory-farmed meat or less meat from a source that has a very, very high climate impact, right? So I think we could all benefit from a more honest discussion that doesn't come from only certain interest groups, for example, vegans. And I was always saying like, what do vegans know about meat, right? So really have more stakeholders talk about it and have an open discussion that's not aimed at putting anyone down, but at elevating all of us.
0: You've mentioned timelines and scale uh, a few times. Publicly speaking, what are some of the timelines that your team is, is looking at to kind of build out larger scale plants?
1: We are looking at launching a product next year. We've also said that publicly. And our aspiration there is, you know, to of course launch on a smaller scale that will be our pilot scale and then launch and with a couple of partners, our first products, and then going to commercial scale will take us another two years, of course, to really scale the processes up and be at the scale where you can, you can supply. And it's very important for us there to work with partners. So we're always looking for partnerships to bring products out, to, for partnerships in manufacturing. This will become increasingly important as we're thinking about how do we finance these large facilities that are needed to actually scale cultured meat globally. And there is a lot of discussion among investors also who will shoulder the large capex. And recently I was so excited to hear from both government sides, but more importantly, big food companies, big players in the space saying, actually, you know, we know how to build big facilities, we know how to build food facilities, we know how to distribute foods, and we want to partner with companies in the space. So this will come more and more to play as we see who can we partner with and what partnerships are most beneficial, again, for both sides to grow cultured meat, but also to bring these products out to the general public more quickly.
0: I will say it is refreshing that you mentioned that this is something that we're planning and you have it on the roadmap. A lot of times you hear even from teams that are just starting out, the answer is like, oh, we're building our our pilot scale right now, or we're building our plans for the commercial scale right now. And so it's it's exciting to hear that it is kind of like small steps to get to where we want to be. And we're not going to be doing this alone. And like you said, there are facilities out there, there's expertise out there to scale food products, maybe not this specifically, but there are people that we need to partner with as a startup, as an industry to get there.
1: Yeah, of course. We can't do it alone. I mean, we need everyone, everyone in the system really to build the system. That's why you also hear from other companies in the space that Really, there is no true competition among cultured meat companies because we all want the same and it's going to be a very big market and everybody can get their share. The question will be, who will get the biggest share in the end, right? And there will be certain defining moments of that. And one of these defining moments is, can you partner with the right stakeholders to scale massively. And that's certainly our goal. And by the way, Alex, we are building our pilot facility right now.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Previously, we mentioned Wagyu beef, elk, lamb. What is your team focusing on right now? Or is it kind of still a variety of things?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. We are focusing on scaling the beef right now, simply because that's a very big market to tap into if we're just talking ground beef market or beef in general. It's just a huge, huge market, and it has a very big climate impact. From all the meats that you could produce with cultured meat technologies, beef is the most important one. We're talking about beef production right now. Cattle has 8% of total greenhouse gas emissions, if you look at it. This is really, really big. So, even replacing a small part of that can give you a really, really big impact. Plus, nobody out there really seems to be able to scale cell cultured beef. And we are able to. So, that's where we're going for beef right now. Mammalian cells, we can create the nutrition, we can create the flavor, we can scale it. And We also recently put out the news that we will be at price parity with premium beef by 2026, according to our model, and by 2030 with commodity beef. And for the pipeline in the future, you know, unlike other companies, we already have a pipeline of different species and could easily add on to these species because that one of our technologies that we have really enables us to get to these cells really, really quickly. And talking about where we get the cells from, what's very important to us is partnerships with farmers, working with them and getting the cells really from farmers, from animals that have been treated right, to partner with these farmers. From the beginning, we were very, very careful who we partner with, which animals we get the cells from, and to make sure that we have, for example, a veterinary on our team, that everything from the start to the end product is really high quality, is premium, and lives up to the standards that we set ourselves. And while I heard more and more companies talking a little bit about where they get the cells from, I think that's also something where the industry can do better. Well, let say who is it we partner with which breed do these cells come from why are we choosing these animals over others it was actually one of my biggest points of criticism that we don't seem to understand that the current meat that we're eating it's not because that's the best meat there is or the most nutritious one it's because these are the animals that we can scale in industrial agriculture And originally, most farmers that raise a certain type of animals, it's because of the climate, the food that's growing on that land, and these animals can thrive best there. It's not because that's the best meat. So with cell cultured meat, we really have the opportunity to overcome that and really grow the best type of meat. That's also why we started with Wagyu
0: right yeah and people do want to eat beef right so th- i think that makes sense now earlier you mentioned that that there would be i guess you know 70% cell cultured meat but that would be mixed i had assumed that that would probably be mixed with plant based materials but could it be that when you do launch that initial product it could be mixed with meat made from traditional sources
1: So that's currently not our plan, but I think, again, in the future, everyone should be open to a variety of products that can be made with cell-cultured material. For us, really, the goal is to bring a product out that is a true cultured meat product. And I cannot disclose all our ingredients, of course, but we definitely have the aspiration to be label conscious and to make sure that the products we bring out live up to that better for you product that consumers want. And that is something that I encourage everyone also to think about. What is it that we truly can achieve with cultured meat and where is that consumer niche that we can target successfully?
0: I know that your team is working closely with Guy Crims or Guy the Butcher, who we've had as a, a guest on the show in the past. And, you know, you mentioned working closely with farmers and, and I know he, for example, works very closely with the farmers. In fact, they have a lot of conferences and events specifically around that kind of technology. How has your experience been working with Guy the Butcher?
1: I mean, this is just so awesome for us to be able to have him as an advisor, someone that truly understands meat. And as I mentioned before, if you want to make a meat product, I think it's crucial that you understand the industry, that you understand what meat is, what makes taste, what makes texture, what's the history, what are the stakeholders there? And he's definitely one of the people that has such a long experience in the industry and understands where that comes from. He has insights that I don't have, even though I'm on a ranch every week. But still, you know, it's really important to tap into that grown history of meat and understand what we are building and what we are building on. Because otherwise, how can we ever think to be a part of that industry if we don't understand it from the ground up? So I'm I'm really thankful for everyone, Guy, and, and also the farmers we work with, that they provide their time, that actually I have farmers that write me Air quote love letters and say, you know, what you're doing is so important because I've been in this business for decades and I know all the things that are wrong with it. And they truly see cultured meat and alternative proteins as an opportunity, right? And as long as you're not there and say, look, I'm going to take away your job, this is exactly the discussion you want to have because they can provide you with insights that we do not have because we have not ranched farmed cattle, right? There are things we cannot know. So we need to talk to the people that know. And Guy Krems is one of the people that has just this amazing knowledge and experience that we're very grateful to be able to tap into.
0: As we begin to wrap up, I want to ask, how big is the Orbillion team now? And what's next for Orbillion?
1: Yes, so we are 16 full-time right now. But of course, you know, we have a lot of collaborations, consultants that work with us, And it's just, I I have to tell you, Alex, it's been amazing to build this team, both the the FTS, but also everyone around us that's so supportive, creative, puts their their energy and minds and, and knowledge and experience to this, that I think that's what enabled us to really make that massive headway in the past one and a half years only. I mean, we've really come from nobody knew us to going through YC having the tasting and all of a sudden being on the map and being one of the first companies in the space to really apply for regulatory approval for VFAL. so even though we just started one and a half years ago really so what's next for us and what we're most excited about is product launch i mean that's what we're all about we always were like we are a product company we're not an r and d experiment we really want to bring a product out there that is different that's a a good product not just some random fast food meat product but really something that we can be proud of and that's what we're really looking forward to have more people taste our products and see that expression on their face that you had to describe it as as magical as you did that's what we're really really excited about and looking forward to and of course all the partnerships that come with it with with chefs with restaurants with food companies and just learning from and with them and yeah seeing our products out there will be really very very rewarding and i can't wait
0: it brings up a thought that i oftentimes ask you know are you taking the the b2b approach where you're of acting as an ingredient supplier or the B2C approach. And that's when I usually say, you know, CPG, because that's what we've been hearing a lot. I guess the question is, which approach are you taking? And on the B2C, I guess it wouldn't be CPG if you're going that route. It would be more uh, high-end butcher shops, that kind of thing. How do you envision in the future our billion products would be accessible to consumers?
1: Yeah, great question, Alex. For us, it's B2B and B2B2C in a way, because as I mentioned, partnerships will be increasingly important to bring products to market and to scale. And there is, I think, a lot of movement also in the space and a lot of things will change, but we really see that market pull, both from food companies that are like, how can we make our current products more sustainable or better? And there is a lot of space to work both as an ingredient player, right? We have muscle, we have fat and a very, very specific technology also on getting the fatty acid profile that we want to get and so on and so forth. So I think there's so many options for us to be a player in this space. Our initial product launch will be through restaurants and partnerships with chefs. But again, for for bringing the products out on the shelf, we will rely on an existing network of food companies. To bring these products out. Will there be a future space for premium meat CPG product? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's always something that that is possible, but maybe not our initial focus.
0: Cool. So I'm imagining at the the butcher shop you might see some Wagyu beef that says from that it comes from this farm or this prefecture in Japan, but then next to it it would be orbilian and it would say like this comes from orbillion.
1: For example. And and you know, I think one thing that's very important is no matter if you're B2B or B2B2C or direct to consumer, you need to understand the consumers that you're making the product for. And that's something that we have put a lot of emphasis on. We asked a couple of thousand consumers in different geographies, how they view cultured meat, what they want out of meat products, and so on and so forth. So really understanding your markets and your consumers will be important, even if you partner with other food companies, because nobody will know cultured meat better than you as a company.
0: Patricia, I want to say thank you and really ask you if you have any last insights for our listeners today.
1: Thank you, Alex, for this really, really interesting conversation. One thing that as companies, as consumers, as stakeholders in this industry, we should put an emphasis on is, we're making meat for meat eaters. These are our consumers. How do we want to engage with the current food system? How do we want to engage with these consumers? And how can we make sure that the products we bring out are something that consumers will buy again and again? And how can we make sure we get the communication right? One thing that I'm concerned about is that someone will mess up in the future. So how can we make sure that we will get this communication right, even if that happens? How can we bond together as an industry among all stakeholders?
0: This is making me nervous. (laughs) It's making me think like if someone does mess up, we oftentimes as an industry allude to the I guess, the, the whole GMO issue. Do you think that there's a risk of that?
1: I actually had a really good discussion last week about that in London, where I was hosting a roundtable on exactly that issue. And there were stakeholders from really different walks of life there. And the consensus was nobody really knows, but that's why communication is so important because we need to make sure that we are not running into this problem that was created when <laughs> that whole gmo thing totally went off the wrong way and so as a scientist i was always thinking how can i convey that sense of trust and safety in the the products that we make a scientist whether that's food products or other products to the consumers. And one thing that is very important, I think, is to state what we know, but also to state what we don't know and to compare it with what what we're currently eating. Nutrition is a field where there's just so many unknowns, so many things that we just started to grasp a small part of it. And that is true for anything and everything we eat. So holding cultured meat to Different standards and other things that we've been eating for a long time would also be wrong. And I think that's what's kind of also happening with GMO. We heard, for example, you know, a lot of, of talk about if we, we cannot feed the entire world the way we are growing food right now and GMO foods or genetic modification will be necessary to sustain the world. The same thing, we cannot feed the entire world with regenerative agriculture. So there's a lot of different parts of the food system that need to play together. And alternative proteins is one of it. But to get customer buy-in, that communication about what we're doing will be increasingly important.
0: This makes me really want to schedule another episode recording just to talk about that. But that's definitely for another time. Patricia, I want to thank you. You can learn more about Orbillion at www.orbillion.com And you could find Patricia on LinkedIn. Patricia, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Alex. See you next time, I guess.
0: <laughs> this is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. This program was produced by H Media. See you soon.